Successful Performer Cast, Episode 36. This is the show that interviews one full-time professional entertainer per week with the goal of inspiring and equipping those who are working to make the leap themselves. This is the Successful Performer Cast. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to the Successful Performer Cast, the show that interviews professional entertainers to inspire you, our listeners. Before we get started, I just wanted to remind you of a few things. Be sure to pick up your free PDF show booking and debrief form that I've put together for you. It's an invaluable tool that will help you keep track of all aspects of your show and get everything you can out of it in order to improve your act and grow as a performer. Pick it up at SuccessfulPerformerCast.com slash booking sheet. Don't forget to visit our Facebook group where you can go and post questions and help each other out with any business challenges you might have. It's a closed group right now, so you'll have to request entry, but don't worry. I'll let you in. I promise. Find that at SuccessfulPerformerCast.com slash FB group. Finally, if you can think of anything I can do to improve my show, any resources you'd like to see on my website, or would like to suggest someone to interview, please drop me a line at KS at SuccessfulPerformerCast.com or hit me up on the social networks and let me know. I'm open to suggestions and feedback and have already implemented many suggestions from you guys. Now, let's get to the good stuff. It's my pleasure to welcome to the show a wonderful entertainer. Katrina Spong Hansen is a corporate juggler whose talents have taken her around the world. She grew up in Denmark from a musical family, so performance was not an uncommon thing. She moved to the States when she was 20 and is just barely recovering from culture shock. She's had the opportunity to tour with and open for a number of big-name entertainers like Kenny Rogers, Willie Nelsons, and Natalie Cole. Add to this hundreds of comedy clubs, fairs, festivals, colleges, and theater productions. She's now one of two principal performers for Comedy Industries, which specializes in creating custom presentations for trade shows, training sessions, sales meetings, and other corporate applications. Clients include Ansys, Comvault, HP, IBM, Netgear, and Seagate. And a couple of cool facts about Katrina. She speaks six languages and also plays drums with several bands around the Bay Area. And I'll leave it up to you to decide which one is cooler. Katrina Spanghansen, I am super excited to have you on the Successful Performer Cast as a guest. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Well, thank you so much. So glad to do this. Hey, the pleasure is all mine, I have to say. So let's uh, let's get started with some inspiration here. I'd like to find out from you, do you have a favorite success quote or a particular mantra that you live by? <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm not one much for success quotes or mantras like that. Uh, but if there's one thing, you know, I'm not one of those people that hang up a little quote above my bed or that kind of thing. But there is one thing that I, I do <laughs> repeat to myself quite often in the performing world. And that uh, is, it, it doesn't matter. And I suppose I should probably <laughs> clarify what I mean with that. And it, it started off as a thing when I was dealing with, um, with stage fright. So what would happen was if I was, you know, nervous about a show or whatever, that, that whole thing with, Oh, look, it's 
think they'll make it, you know, that, that didn't really work for me. You know, I, I didn't, wasn't comfortable performing in front of a bunch of naked people. So I thought, okay, well, what, what, what matters about this? And then, you know, if you analyze it down to the bone, oh, will my family love me if I, you know, suck at this? Will my uh, friends still love me? Probably. Mm-hmm. And so I just kept repeating myself. It doesn't matter. If I tank in the worst possible way, it doesn't matter. And then it sort of moved on to be more of a thing in, in every aspect of performing for me, because a lot of what Scotty and I do is this very heavy writing, analyzing, memorizing, that kind of thing. And so you work and work and work up to a particular performance. And then when you go on, it's just going, you know what, throw it all out and just perform. It doesn't matter. Just, you know, do, do what your instincts tell you. It's sort of like the, the, you know, the soccer player that stands in front of the goal is about to kick and the goal is completely open. He's outplayed the goalkeeper and then he misses. Mm -hmm. And then he goes, you know, and afterwards asked, well, how could you miss? I thought about it. And that's, so it's, it's about, you know, you train, you focus. And then at the end, just tell yourself it doesn't matter and let the instincts take over. So I did do that quite often. I said, myself, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. How's that for success mantra? I, I love that. <laughs> and you know, it, it kind of, it kind of uh, makes you stand back and, and really evaluate what really matters. Oh, exactly. It's, it's because ultimately, you know, anyone show, it doesn't matter at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, in the grand scope of things, it's not really that important, even when you think it is. And I suppose that applies to a lot of aspects of life that, you know, any time that you make something really important, you're much more likely to overthink it or to, you know, to, to be too uptight to be good. Mm-hmm. And so, so yeah. Awesome. Could you maybe bring us into a specific moment that this uh, uh, has really helped you through something? Oh, I think I think pretty much any time I do a big show, you know, you know, they're the the routine shows that you do that you've done a bunch, and you know, so you don't really get nervous or whatever. But right. pretty much any time I do a new show, a new venue, a new, you know, anything where I'm uncomfortable with my surroundings, you know, where I go, I don't, I, I'm not in full control of the situation. I just keep repeating my head, it doesn't matter. The worst thing that can happen is you tank. So what? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it really comes down to failure and and fear of failure. You know what I mean? Oh, oh, absolutely. And I think that mostly, you know, certainly in comedy, not, the, the biggest <laughs> killer is if you're afraid of failure. Yes, indeed. If you, if you, if you think, I, I think most of the time, and especially those of us in the variety arts, the thing that prevents us from going out there and doing you, you know, trying new stuff is because, you know, we're afraid of failing. We're afraid we're not going to be as good as we could be. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the fear of failure is is truly a killer of, of a lot of art, I think. Absolutely. So, Katrina, could you give us the short story of how you discovered entertaining or, or juggling and comedy or how these things discovered you? And then tell us how you went into performing professionally. Um, well, I mean, I, I, it really kind of fell in my lap. I was I was a teenager, I was eighteen, and at that time, it was really common for young, you know, especially Northern Europeans to 
to, you know, travel, take a year off, travel around. And so I went to America because we'd had an American exchange student and I taught myself how to juggle. I taught, so I knew how to juggle, but not very well. And then I ended up staying in, ended up in San Francisco meeting the, the guy, a guy that was a professional entertainer mm-hmm. and Mitchell Barrett. And he was really the, the reason why I, I became a performer and we did an act together for many years called Grin and Barrett started off doing, you know, he was like, you can do this. And I'd never thought of, of being a juggler and just sort of, he, he took me along and sort of took me under his wing and then we became partners and performed together for, I think we were full-time partners for about 17 years. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then in, in that time span of doing, uh, doing Grin and Barrett was, was in the name of the act. I, I, you know, we were uh, also working side by side with Scotty who I'm partners with now. And so I would work with him sometimes doing corporate shows and so on. And then eventually, you know, I started performing full time with Scotty Mitchell and I were kind of like, okay, we, we have, we have, we have done this and now we need some fresh blood. And that's how I ended up being full time partners with Scotty. Okay. So with, uh, with your first act there, what were you doing like street performing? Uh, what, what kind of things were you doing? Well, with that? It, yeah, it was, it was pretty much all street performing in the beginning. I mean, we okay. started off doing street performing in Europe and Australia and, and then huh. here in San Francisco where, where I live now and, and, and then sort of migrated into doing fairs and festivals and, and, and that sort of thing. And for Mitchell and I, that was a, a lot of what we did with fair, fairs and festivals and some corporate, but it was, you know, we did a lot of those. Okay. And then you didn't really start doing corporate stuff until you started working with Scotty Meltzer? I did some of that with, with Mitchell, uh, but, you know, Scotty was very, and is, you know, was very connected in that market. And then, you know, at that time he was hiring several different performers and that's, I started performing with him and got more and more involved in doing that. You know, I have a, my particular skill set works really well for that market. So mm-hmm. sort of a, a natural, a natural thing for me. Got it. So as you were trying to, uh, you know, move into per- performing professionally full time, did you encounter any resistance from family or friends? Um, yeah, some, because see, there are a lot of musicians in my family, but my parents were actually academics. And since my oldest brother had already, was already a professional musician mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, my second brother was a businessman. They really wanted me to go into academia. So mm-hmm. they were, you know, they were hopeful that I was going to go that route. And then when I said, I'm a juggler and by the way, it's going to happen on the other side of the planet. Yes. It was a, a little bit of resistance there. Wow. But, how, how did you respond to that? Well, I mean, it was, it was more gradual than that because it was, I moved to San Francisco and I was like, Oh, I'll take another year. And then maybe I'll move back to Denmark eh, another year. And then slowly it was like, Oh no, this is really what I'm doing. I, I really am going to be a full-time juggler for, you know, hopefully for the rest of my life. Yeah. But it was slow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it, it it seems like you kind of looked back and and realized I'm actually I'm actually doing this full time. Why not just keep going? Um, yeah, pretty much. And you know, I mean, a lot of the people that will listen to this are, are, are probably people who are in the business. You realize this is the greatest job in the world mm-hmm. by 
I don't see why I should do something else yeah. when this is so great, right? So, so that's pretty much how it happened. It, it was, uh, it was, it, it chose me, and then I stuck with it. That's beautiful. So, did you ever have what people would call a quote-unquote real job? Yeah, I did. In my uh, in my uh, later, uh, I, d- I did. I taught circus skills for a little while while I was still in Denmark, and I uh, I I worked in a hardware store, but very very briefly. I mean, okay. I think my real world, uh, real work experience is like maybe a year and a half of my life. So. Okay. Not much. <laughs> did Did you say teaching circus skills? Yeah, I worked in this after school program in Denmark where I taught circus skills and theater and stuff. I, you know, as a teenager, I was very involved in youth theater, and so you know, I I taught that when I, in my late teens. Okay, but, so that that would have been more theater kind of stuff, or both theater and both theater and uh, and circus skills and that sort of thing. It was you know it was a little bit of after everything in this after school program. Okay, got it. So what what I'd like to talk about now, I, I'd like you to kind of bring us into a moment uh, where where you've um, you know had a had a moment of failure in your career. And so it's uh, basically something that we could all learn from because you know we we uh, obviously learn whenever we fail, but you know people always say to not only learn from your mistakes but also learn from the mistakes of others. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And I, I, I will say, you know, when you get together with a bunch of performers, always much more interesting to hear about how people fail. Oh, yeah. <laughs> than, than this success story. But I, I, I think actually my, my best failure story, uh, and there, there have been many, <laughs> but my best. We've all one, had them and many. <laughs> the best one, though, is probably tied to, it was tied to a success story. And that's what made it, oh, cool. it, made it so interesting. So, in in the early days of of Britt and Barrett, you know we you know we were like all performers. We were hoping you know to get a break and you know to get seen and all that stuff. So we we get booked at a it was a fair, a county fair, I believe, and they asked us to open for Barbara Mandrell, who was a big country star at the time. Mm-hmm. And so the show was you know in in sort of an arena type of setting for ten thousand people, and the show was great. And we thought, oh. We, we've made it. We're, this is so great. It's wonderful. We're great. Wow, we're so good. And then the next day at the very same fair, we were also booked to perform. And we were on at one o'clock and the fair opened at one and it was 100 degrees out. And we had 12 people in the audience and six of them were mentally challenged and uh, the other six were wheeling the mentally challenged people in the audience. Mm-hmm. And it was like this idea that you could go from in the, within, you know, the same, almost the same venue. You went from performing a huge crowd to this thing where you had, a, where it was really hard to succeed, right? It was really hard to do a good show. And that was the first time I really saw, wow, you know, venue is everything and you can't pay too much attention to that. Yeah. You can't, you can't put, you know, you, every performer, is going to have those shows where, you know, it's one o'clock and it's hot and you have no people in the audience and you just have to try and make the the best of it. And it doesn't matter, you know, (laughs) any performer is going to have it and it's going to happen throughout your career. Mm -hmm. And so, so when people 
you know, performers tell talk about how they killed or, you know, whatever. It's like, yeah, you know, we all go on Saturday night and, you know, we don't always get to perform on Saturday night and that's fine. It's all, it's part of the beauty of it. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. And it, it really does matter. Uh, you know, just the, the timing of things. I mean, here you were, you guys were pretty much performing in the heat of the day and you said the, the venue had opened at one. Yeah. And, and we that's were, the time you were performing at as well. Yes. And, it, and, you know, and who gets there, there when the place opens? <laughs> exactly. It was, it was exactly like that. And it was like this big cosmic bucket of water being poured out. <sighs> See how great you are now. <laughs> you know, and wow. Wow. it was in, in a way rather profound. Yeah. So what, what was the, uh, the, uh, the, the big, uh, part of the success on that story as well? Was it the night before opening the for... night before opening okay. for that big show and thinking that, Oh, now we were going to be superstars. And right. I, you know, the, the more and the longer I've been a performer and performing in this business, the more I, I, the, the more pleasure I, I take in the shows that are hard, that then you turn around than the shows that just get served to you in a platter. Mm -hmm. So frequently I would say that, you know, you, when I perform with Scotty, for example, and we're in a very, we're in a very difficult situation for one reason or another, and then you do the show and something happens and you manage to turn it around to, to make it good somehow. Those are usually moments where I feel, you know, having some form of internal pride mm -hmm. much more than the shows where you go out and from the, you know, first joke out of the gate, people are with you because the, the trick in performing, I think is to, is to really be able to embrace every situation, no matter what it is Yeah. Wow. and really be okay with, uh, you know, on a truly fundamental level, be okay with that. Yeah. And, and sometimes, sometimes, uh, we, we need, uh, I mean, something just like what you experienced to kind of level our, ourselves off a little bit, you know? I mean, you, you obviously saw the two extremes, like one right after the other. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not always going to be like that. And, and, uh, most often you're probably going to be somewhere in the middle. Oh yeah. Most often, you know, most often the shows are some, you know, are somewhere in there, mm -hmm. but you, but I, I don't think that you can, either no matter how you evaluate yourself if you evaluate yourself as an artist or as a craftsman and you're how you're approaching your show you should you know i don't think that you can ever evaluate what you do based on solely on the reaction of your crowd yeah that will be a you know i think that will be a very fundamental mistake because that's that's the one thing you can't govern you know yeah yep but you can uh, you can govern how you react to such things and uh, and what what you do afterwards. So oh, exactly. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, you know, you, so frequently I hear performers that say, oh, you know, they've have gotten to a certain level of success, and they'll say, oh, I can't, you know, I can't go back to performing the little, uh, you know, podunk festival, or I can't go back to and and I if I end up my you know my career going back to doing you know solely doing street shows i am totally fine with that yeah <laughs> yep so uh at this point you're you're mainly doing corporate gigs is that correct yes yes that's the definitely the bread and butter of what we do now okay could you uh maybe talk about um uh maybe the the process of incorporating your client's message into your act 
Yeah, I would say, I mean, that's, that's the one thing that, you know, that probably make, I would say that's the, probably the thing that makes us uh, uh, a, a little bit different from most performers out there is that, you know, the, the bulk of what we do are these very customized scripts. So there's a lot of product information, a lot of company and messaging. So it's like funny, funny, juggle, juggle. And here is why this company's product is better. And this is why, why you should buy it. And what it does is it means that, you know, we are all, always writing a lot. We're writing a lot of scripts. We're spending a lot of time memorizing and we're spending a lot of time writing. And it, I, I don't think it's for everyone. Obviously, the money in it, in it is good. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also, you know, it's, it, it's a lot of work. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, absolutely. It's a lot of work. And it's a, it's a process. And I think we've gotten, we've, we've honed in on it and on how to do it. But, um, yeah, I definitely don't think it's for everyone. Right. So what, what, uh, how, how do you, what, what's your process in that? I mean, do you interview the client? Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how does that work? How does that play so out? Typically, I mean, so typically what we do is so, so we do a lot of trade shows, for example, and that, that will be a, a perfect ex- example of it. And so okay. from the client's perspective, he, what they want is, it's no longer about just being entertaining and funny the way that most entertainers think about it. There is a buy factor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what is going to sell to their, you know, pretend the potential customers that are attending this event. And so they, all of a sudden your client has a lot bigger stake in your show <laughs> than yeah. they do in ordinary circumstances. And, and so, you have to deliver. Yeah. And so we will have a lot, we will start off having, you know, conference calls uh with the with a client where they give us information this is what we'd like to say about our company and about our product and uh, this is how we'd like to reach the audience and then we write a script and then versions of these scripts will be sent back and forth for you know corrections and you know seeing if we've gotten the messaging right and then eventually when we have now boiled down a story for the client then we put in the jokes and the and the the tricks and so on and uh, and then you know and then we start memorizing and practicing it okay and some of it is easier than other things because some of the tricks and the jokes that you know there's sort of a a format what we could do you know a format where we can plug in the information and then sometimes the you know the client will go Wow, wouldn't it be great if you guys dress up as elephants? Because this is a we have an elephant as a logo, and we think that. And then we have to figure out how how on earth are we going to incorporate elephants? How are we going to you know? So, mm-hmm. uh, so that sometimes it's easier than other times. Let's put it that way. Okay. Now you'd uh, you'd mentioned that it's it's also quite a bear to uh, to memorize these scripts. Could you talk about how how you go about that? I mean, is there are there any tricks or tips oh, that you absolutely. have for that? Um, yeah, I, there, so a lot of people that that work uh, you know as corporate presenters will will use ear prompters and and it, it, which is a wonderful tool. Uh, mm-hmm. I can highly recommend that. Uh, but we don't actually use ear prompters very much because the style that we do is very audience interactive. And when you're interacting with the audience and ear prompter is really not good. Right. <laughs> it's, it's difficult to use. And, and, it, and it's also a little bit harder to do it in, in a duo format, which is how we perform most of the time. Mm. Um, so memorizing 
I think for Scotty and I, memorizing comes pretty pretty quickly. I mean, we're both pretty quick uh, studies that way. Um, but there are absolutely tricks that, that we use uh, for memorization. For example, if you were going to, very often we talk about for a high-tech company, and you have no emotional connection to the material that you're talking about. And that's an important thing in memorizing things because yeah. I don't emotionally resonate with, you know, uh, what kind of uh, cloud management tools, uh, it, you know, a particular company is selling. But, you know, I can, for example, if they're saying, you know, we, you know, our newest uh, 64-bit server, I'll in my head go, oh, 64-bit server. I can say that on this show, right? <laughs> you know, and I emotionally resonate with a server that has 64 tits, I can reassure you. And then I have that picture in my head and then I'll remember it. And so, so you make, you make mnemonic connections to, to, to it in a way that works for you. So whatever, <laughs> I just outed myself here, but whatever resonates for you mm-hmm. is, is, you know, is a way to memorize. You make, you make particular, you figure out what are some tricks of what words will remind you of something that you emotionally connect with. Mm-hmm. That's certainly a tool that, I use a lot. And then if you are ever in this position and, and a lot of entertainers are variety ads because, you know, companies will ask you to incorporate a little bit of, 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 of information in, in your after dinner show and so on. Yes. I think another, you know, another trick is to, is to figure out how do you memorize because people memorize, as it turns out, people memorize quite differently. And Scotty and I, for example, memorize completely differently. Scotty memorizes by hearing things. I remember by seeing it. So when I don't remember a line, I, I have it running as a film in my head. I, you know, it's like I photograph the, the page. Mm-hmm. Scotty doesn't. So when he memorizes, he runs the script. He puts it on a, you know, on a little cassette tape and, you know, runs and it. And listens to it. And then yeah. listens to it. I just stare at it. And, and to figure that out about yourself is very, very useful when, when you get into the corporate market and you need to, uh, add, uh, and you need to add some company messaging to mm-hmm. yourself. Are, are there just two different styles of, uh, of memorizing visual and audio, or are there any more that you've uh, No, it, it, you know, it can be a combination. There can be a combination of different ways to memorize. You can also, uh, you can find out that, that, uh, certain things you memorize as a, you know, as a crossbreed, some people will memorize best both ways. Some mm-hmm. will memorize best if they're both looking and hearing it at the same time. Uh, you know, because in comedy industries, we from time to time hire other performers. And I see, you know, how people do it very differently. Mm-hmm. Some people also memorize better if they're under a deadline, you know. Yeah, that's... <laughs> <laughs> no, some of that, you know, whatever works for you. But I think it's a very good idea to figure out what that is for you because it really is radically different from, from person to person. And then once you're there, it is to... I think the thing that makes people forget lines or forget the information is very often the fear of forgetting it. Hmm. The more I've been doing this and the more, you, you know, I, I mean, in my I have memorized probably, you know, uh, Dostoevsky's complete works many times over, you mm-hmm. know, and I have figured out that over, over the years of doing this, that, that 
the, the, the thing that really makes me go up on lives is when I go, oh, wait, I can't remember it. I can't remember it. I can't remember it. Then yeah. you really can't remember it. It's to trust that it's going to come to you and that if it doesn't come to you, you'll figure out a way to cover. Right. Well, what are some things that you, uh, you do to cover? Oh, um, well, it's, it's in a way it's a, it's a wording, wording choices. So let's say for example, uh, you're going to do a line about, let's say, you know, here at XYZ company, we give you the best cloud infrastructure, the best cloud management tools. Mm -hmm. And then in your head, you're going, I can't remember. I can't remember. I can't remember. I can't remember. Uh, and I think that what you need to do, if you, if you just step back for, from it for a second, you're saying it very, you're saying it with a lot of force here at XYZ company, we give you the best cloud management, the best cloud. To, and, and we get, uh, 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 you know, <laughs> if you're delivering your line that way, then when the, when the crash comes and you can't remember the second half of the line, you, they're really going to be able to tell. Right. You instead you go. So here at that XYZ uh, company, we give you the best cloud management and the best cloud infrastructure tools, and um, and we, you know, we do it with the, you know, we do it with a lot of verb. We, I mean, we really have put a lot of attention on this particular issue. If you do it by you, where you sort of with confidence, just like like you're trying to remember something that you really know well. Mm. then you it won't look like you're forgetting it so you you just your um and your pausing is really important here your um and your pausing should be with um yeah you know that it's hard to illustrate because you can't see my face right but you're getting the tone here so the tone is that you're just coasting over it and sometimes when you work in a partner you can sort of look at your partner and they can <laughs> give you a little uh yeah. <laughs> but, but if you're solo, it's doing that. And then maybe, maybe one of the things that you can do, and when I work solo, I've sometimes done this, is that you have a little backup in the back of your head, you know, mm -hmm. as well, uh, a, a way out. Because, you know, here at XYZ Company, we really do deliver the best solutions for cloud computing. Know that you have that one in the back of your head, and then you can right. slot that one in. Pull that out of your back pocket. And yeah. it's it's interesting because, you know, if, if you were just uh, kind of stumbling over your words, you would seem so unsure. But in the in the way you were doing it, it didn't seem like you were forgetting your lines. It seemed like you were trying to choose the correct words Precisely. for for more, you know, punctuation or, or for more uh, for more oomph. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, precisely. From, yeah, exactly. Like, like you really know what you're talking about. You're just looking for the right word. Exactly. I, I like that. So could you, uh, you, you'd mentioned to me before, uh, actually before we started the interview, how you brainstormed back and forth with Scotty on, uh, on adding comedy to the acts. Could you talk a little bit about how that, uh, the, the brainstorming processes go with you? Uh, yes. I mean, so, so, I mean, what we do when we, when we write together, and if we have to write a particular, you know, a bunch of jokes about something, we'll just, you know, we'll just cram and we will, the, the, the big thing I think that we're both in agreement on is when you, we're writing a script, we want to write a particular jokes about this company. Then you write, you just let yourself write, you know, write the craziest, worst, most terrible jokes. And 
but and don't censor. Mm-hmm. Don't censor until you know the second round. And I think all people who who write regularly will will do that. And it's really hard to do. It's hard for me sometimes to not go. That is the lamest joke. <laughs> That's terrible. You know. But, you know, really try to not do that. Really try to, you know, when you write out, just give yourself permission because 90% of what you're going to write is crap. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I could actually, I think, I think we almost have statistics on this because we've gone out and done it. We've done like, we've had, you know, 10 jokes and then we've had, sometimes in a trade show, you have an opportunity to do, because you do so many different shows. You can do it over the say you can do it over and over again and try each joke. And I'd say that a good, you know, eighty to ninety percent of your jokes are just not gonna be good. But then you find the one nugget. And you're just gonna have to give yourself permission to do that. Yeah. And, and oftentimes it's uh it's not the joke, it's it's how you say it. <laughs> that too, but that and that's another part of the process is that, you know, when aside from the writing process, I mean, once you're out performing, I mean, we, you know, we've had some jokes that we thought, we thought that was so funny. And then we tried it, you know, 50 different ways with different inflections with different, and it turns out it really wasn't funny. Yeah. <laughs> that can happen too. But it's, I think that some of it is both in the writing and in the performing is, is really, you know, when it all boils when it's all said and done, it's about giving yourself permission to be bad. And it's so hard for me to remember. It's so hard. But it's it's probably the most useful advice I could give to anyone who's who's starting out, that you have to be okay with that. There's a performer here um, uh, that was here in town for a while and now lives in Toronto, Thomas John, who um, who he was such an inspiration because he's young uh, and he... And he was so willing to go out and just try things. And I remember he went out on Pier 39 to a street show and gave himself permission to do a show that I think it was all about food, where all he would juggle was food and tofu and, you know, whatever it was. And, and I didn't see it. I didn't see it. But he said it sucked so bad. <laughs> but he was willing to do this thing because his actual show was really good. And, but he was willing to do that. And I found that so inspirational that he was just willing to go out there in front of people and have them go, wow, this guy really isn't very good. But you know what? You juggle tofu for, you know, half an hour. You're probably going to find, you know, one tofu joke that you can put in your regular show. Yeah. And that's worth it, you know? Yep. Katrina, how do you differentiate differentiate yourself from others in your genre? Do you have a unique selling point? I mean, uh, you know, absolutely. The the selling point for Scotty and I, without a doubt, is is the customization. Okay, uh, is that we do this writing thing, and we we and we've done a lot of crazy shows. Not also shows that don't does not you know we do a lot of shows that don't involve juggling, Um, but. That so our, our selling point is that we we know the corporate market and we 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 do this a lot and we've been seeing a lot in that market and so so uh, I would say that is definitely our selling point. But I mean, aside from that, I suppose that you know one of our selling point all the selling points is uh, you know the that we're a guy girl duo. You yeah. know, that's not as common as the this the solo uh, variety performer. Um. But I don't think that's a huge selling point anymore. Mm-hmm. There used to be a time where, 
where being a woman was in this field was so unusual. Yeah, pretty novel. That's that's thankfully uh, actually le- less the case now. It's still somewhat unusual, uh, but but not not as much as it once. Right. Well, the the funny thing is, uh, you will be the third juggler I've had on my show. Uh, the other one of them being uh, Scotty Melcher, of course, and the other one was Lindsay Benner. So, oh, Lindsay's great. Yeah. <laughs> Lindsay. Lindsay's great. So there you go, two female jugglers and, <laughs> and one. <laughs> I can assure you, in the history of podcasts involving jugglers, the yes. fact that more women doing it that 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 statistic is not going to last. <laughs> Well, who knows? We'll, we'll see what happens in the future. <laughs> it, it, it bears, and because I also play drums, you know, and that's my other sort of performing life. I, mm-hmm. you know, I, both being a female juggler and a female drummer. I mean, there's a lot to be said on the subject. It is obviously a thing where there are not a whole lot of women, both in magic, which I think is, you know, most of the people you've interviewed on this are, are magicians. Yes. And, and juggling and, 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 and drumming. And so, uh, you know, there, but I would say that, uh, I have gotten gigs from being a, a woman, no doubt. And I have lost some gigs because I was a woman this, you know, but overall, I would say it's not, not something that's a, a huge selling point, And it's not something that is, doesn't, it's not something that detracts much anymore either. Okay. So what's worked best for you in growing your business? Do you think? Um, I mean, I think that, that one of the big things I I would say is that you, you, you've got to be a person that, that people want to be around that they, I don't think that could be stressed enough that your show is, you know, whatever it is, it's so good. It's, it's, it's however good it is, but I have seen so many performers stumble over the, you know, being what is perceived as being difficult to work with. And, and I think that that's probably one of, you know, one thing that, that can be a a stumbling block, I think. Um, And I, I, you know, I remember one time we were performing at this burlesque show uh, here in San Francisco. It was a midnight show at a hotel for a while. And there were some blessed dancers there. And one of the dancers after the show was over, she, you know, she gets into a huge fight with the doorman in the hotel and ends up getting kicked out, get kicked out of the show. Okay. Why, why would you do that? Yeah. If it's, you know, just don't pee where you work. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like it's, <laughs> it's that simple. And sometimes what seems to you to be unreasonable demands when, you know, this has sometimes happened in, with comedy industries, for example, you know, they come in and the day before you're out to do this show, they go, uh, yeah, well, we've changed the entire script. A VP didn't like this messaging. We're going to have to do this. And, you know, I've had people s- say, but they can't do this to us. Well, they just did. Yeah, so what are you <laughs> going to do? But, you know, to go up and say, we, you know, don't do this to us. You can't do this to us. It's just not going to work. I mean, you, you, you work with, do the best you can with, with, with whatever unreasonable demands the client is making of you or, or say, I'm not going to do the gig, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And the, the interesting thing is 
uh, as as we're we're talking here, I'm just uh, I'm just seeing so many places where your your mantra at the beginning of of it just doesn't matter can fit. You know? Oh oh sure. And this is all, and that that's where what is also important to remember. So you know, this would happen back when I was doing fairs. This would happen a lot. People, you know. There would certain acts would come in in the fair market, and there you are at a fair, and there is a you know there is a, a you know mechanical bull next to your stage that's blaring music. The main you know headline act is going on, uh, and there happens to be you know a, a pig barn right next to the stage, and you know they uh, defecate and it smells, and you complain about this. But the fact is, it's a fair. Mm-hmm. You're only one of the pieces of the puzzle, and if you start complaining about your working conditions, you know you're not going to be hired back because that's the only thing they don't want. They don't want to hear from you. They just want to hear, oh, these guys are doing a good show. Yeah, absolutely. And I've seen a lot of people stumble on that and what they see as a reasonable demands. And most of the time, it, it isn't. It's mostly just people, you know, having, you're not their main concern. And so therefore they forget to consider you. And then you just have to work with what you got, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's not people being malicious; they're they're just not. No. They've got so many other things on their mind. And that's so important to remember. I think is that it's not malicious. It's not mm-hmm. that they that they, they're not out to treat you as the little yeah. act. They're not out to treat you poorly. They're not out to make your life difficult. That it's usually because other circumstances happen and, and you happen to be caught up on, in them. Mm-hmm. It, it's not that common in my experience that people set out to make your life difficult. Right. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, uh, you mean it's not personal, right? <laughs> no, it's not personal. No, no, it almost never is. I mean, when, when, you know, when somebody comes and tells us that they need to change the script a day before or, or whatever, it's usually, you know, yeah, sometimes it's because they weren't, it was a bit thoughtless on their part. They probably should have dealt with this earlier or whatever, but it certainly wasn't to set out to make your life difficult. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in fact, uh, uh, as we were trying to schedule this interview, I had actually forgotten to send you the questions and, uh, it, it was with you contacting me that I realized I'd actually dropped the ball on that. And, you know, just like we're talking about, it wasn't anything personal. It's just, uh, you know, we, we go about our daily lives and we've got, uh, you know, all kinds of things to think about, but I was sure to get those questions to you pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. You know, if this was the biggest thing I ever had to deal with, with my clients, boy, my life would be good. <laughs> Yep. And so that that's just that, that's just a little small real world example, you know. But uh it things like that can be even smaller than that or they can be bigger than that or even just seem bigger than that. Oh, it so often seems personal. Mm-hmm. But I think that that's, you know, that's often worth this this particular piece of 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 uh advice, I think it, you know, can seep into many aspects of your life because very often when you seem you feel wronged by someone. Mm-hmm. They most of the time didn't say set out to wrong you. They yeah. may have been a little careless, but it's usually not because they're trying to make your your life difficult specifically. Mm-hmm. Yep. Bottom line: just be human and realize that you're also dealing with humans. 
Oh, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so Katrina, what's been your biggest professional challenge so far and how have you overcome? Uh, you know, I, I think that my, my biggest, uh, my personal biggest challenge has definitely been the fear of failure. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, you, you know, I mean, we talked about that earlier, but I, that has definitely been my, my, the, the bane of my existence, I think in many ways that I, I'm afraid of making mistakes. I'm afraid of screwing up and I'm afraid of not being good enough. So it, 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 it ties back to uh, to the it doesn't matter. That's right. <laughs> Mentor is to really it's something that I continually have to struggle with. I, I don't think that's that unusual. Uh, most performers struggle with that kind of insecurity, I suppose. But uh, I definitely feel like it's it's very specifically the thing that that inhibits you from being good. Mm-hmm. If you're afraid that you're going to go out there. Uh, that you're afraid of doing things in in because in, you're afraid of, of sucking. Yeah. Then you know you will never grow. Mm-hmm. And I see sometimes that uh, and in that for example, working with 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 Scotty, who is much more uh, uh, fearless than me in in his in his approach to in his approach to things. Uh, I. I do think that there is, and and I'm 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 certainly not saying anything behind Scotty's back, mostly because it's going on a po- podcast. But I think in Scotty's case, and I is also because he's male. That male males are more uh, grow grow up with a lot more entitlement, and this assumption that I'm just going to go out there and own the world. Hmm. And more women performers that I know tend to fall into the role of, Oh, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to look like a fool in front of other people. I, I see this all the time when I, you know, for example, if you teach people how to juggle, you get to a certain place, uh, with, with kids, they will, you know, you can teach them. They're willing to make a fool out of themselves. You get to adults, adult women in particular, they will almost always say, I can't do it. I have no eye hand coordination. And often they're the people who pick it up within 10 minutes if you finally get them to do it. But it's this idea of I don't want to look bad in front of other people. It's so conditioned into women from 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 early on. And and it's something that I know a lot of, you know, women performers struggle with. Yeah. And males, too, for that matter. But but I think it is a little bit more prevalent for women. Mm-hmm. And you know it's interesting. It makes me think of uh, well, one of my one of my favorite quotes, and I, I believe it's from uh, Zig Ziglar, is that fear is essentially false evidence appearing real. F E A R. <laughs> That's a good quote. You Maybe know? adopt that as a success mantra. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I it, but you know I don't mind you know fighting with. You know, you, we all battle with things in, in, in our life and in our careers and so on. And I think it's a great thing be, to, to tackle in, in performing because it also applies to real life. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And that's, that's one of the things that I think holds me back a lot as well is, uh, is fear. You know, whether it be fear of failure, fear of success, fear of trying something new. Oh, yes. Yes. And I yeah. see it, I mean, I, you know, I see it a lot in variety arts because so many people, they get a particular show and, and 
and the show is uh, and the show is and the show is good. But then they uh, but then it gets to a certain level and it's this good. Mm-hmm. And then oh, it's then they don't want to try something new because every time you're going to go out and try something new, your show is going to dip, right? Right. It's dip down a little and then it's going to come back up. Mm-hmm. Uh, once you do, you know, your old material, you have to be willing to do those dips. You right. just have to. And that's because I, you know, I see so many people that have done the same act for 20 years and, you know, it's, we have routines that are 20 years old, but hopefully we will. And in part, because we have to go out and do new stuff, you know, mm-hmm. for, for clients all the time, we've gotten more accustomed to that process of, of, of it not being as good as we could be, you yeah. know? Uh, so we've gotten better at it, and I think a lot of, of, of people may may be, but only because we have sucked so much. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's no way to get better or get good at something except to do it over and over again. And and uh, you know, even if it's it sucks at first, you know, the more you do it, the better it's going to evolve and uh, become more entertaining. Oh, exactly, exactly. It's a uh, you know it. You know, it's 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 the only way that you can do it is by 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 trying all the the crappy jokes till you get to the good one. Mm-hmm. So, looking back, is there anything you would have done differently up to this point? Not really. I mean, if I if if I have to take an honest look at at my life and think at my career and say, oh, would I've done something differently? No, no. Everything led me to the point where I am now, and I'm 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 very happy with with where I am now. And I, and overall, I think that regretting is a waste of time. I mean, to, to, to regret something is, you know, what, what good will that do you? True. Yeah. Uh, So, so, so no, I don't really have any regrets about, you know, I've had a, you know, I've had a great working life so far. (laughs) Katrina, could you tell us an interesting story that you've encountered during your performance career? Yes, I, you know, there, there's one story in particular it involves, it involves so many aspects of my life. And I, I think it, 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 it's, a, it's a pretty funny story because it involves a, a, a very um, a canonical example of, of, of showbiz uh, BS. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was some many, around the year 2000, I was working at a trade show. And Scotty was there uh, and a few other people were there, but I was working solo my client, I was working solo and I got very, very ill. Um, and, um, it turned out it was appendicitis, but I I was, I I was solo and I knew if I left the client wouldn't, you know, the client wouldn't have a show. Right. Mm -hmm. So I go, Scotty sends me down to the, the convention hall, uh, nurse. And she says, I think you have appendicitis. You need to go to the hospital immediately. And I go, no, I have shows to do. And I continue to perform. And I mean, I was lying, you know, curled up in, in the corner and then I would go out and amazingly, I managed to do the shows. And then at the end of the day, I got carted off in an ambulance and it was in New York City. And I got um, and I uh, it turns out that, you know, because I had waited, it had perforated mm-hmm. and meant I, you know, I was beginning. So I was very, very ill. And I, you know, normally appendicitis is a, a d- disease that, you know, you get out the next day pretty much. But I was locked up in New York City for a while. I wasn't allowed to fly. I was in the hospital for a while and all this stuff. And it, 
And the reason why I think this story is is so important is because there's such a thing in 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 the performer culture that says the show must go on. Mm-hmm. And I, after that, I have realized that is such nonsense. Yes, <laughs> you know, it's that one thing that doesn't need to go on. It's the show. It's a way that performers have decided. Oh. I am important. This matters. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter. And you know what was great about that? It turns out that I almost died for a client that turned out stiffing us. They didn't pay us. Oh. Right around the dot-com crash and this company. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. <laughs> Katrina. I only I got to client was flowers in the hospital. Oh. <laughs> so... Wow. Uh, so let this be an example to all of you out there that if you ever have a hangnail, you should cancel. I, of course, don't mean that. But, right, right. But I do mean that there are things that are more important than the show. And no, the show isn't the, you know, the show doesn't need to go on. It, it really doesn't. Yeah. It's, you know, whenever I was interviewing Scotty, that was one of the one of the first things that he he said uh, and I, it, I, it was at the the beginning of the interview and I remember it kind of struck a chord with me and I, I meant to go back and ask him about it but I, I never did and so now I'm kind of getting the the other half of that yeah. and wow that it just it absolutely makes sense and I can totally agree with that. Uh, yes, it, and you know, I don't mean that you should cancel if you have a cold. Right, or, right. I mean, if, I if you can do it, do it. <laughs> yes, if you can if do you it. Can perform. I mean that there yes. are that it's it's really important to get your priorities in order here. There, that there are, I can think of a time in my life prior to that where I was so afraid of disappointing my client, and this, you know, in some ways, goes back to that fear of failure kind of thing. The you know so afraid of disappointing the client and lived from that place of of, of scarcity. Oh, I, you know, am I never going to get a gig again if this client gets upset that we are canceling? You know, mm-hmm. and it's like you can't live like that. You, yeah. you know, if you you know if you are really sick, yeah, cancel. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so we're we're here at the end of the show, and uh, this is uh, kind of a. Uh, a lightning round of such, uh, but basically, I have you recommend a resource and a, a couple of books. So, first off, I, I'd like you to recommend a resource that you always use to our listeners, and this could be anything from an iPhone app to something like a prop list. Well, I mean, I one of the resources that I use a lot, I would say, is um, is LinkedIn. I mean, for for, for corporate uh, work, I think that's a that's definitely essential because people change jobs all the time. And if you want to stay in touch with your clients and find out, oh, someone someone who was an event manager at one company has now moved to another company. Uh, you know, these are things you want to know. So I'm definitely very um, I definitely use LinkedIn a lot. I don't know if that applies to all aspects of performing or for every uh, every you know different market in performing, but but I definitely use that a lot. Yeah, it certainly makes sense for for the corporate arena, absolutely. Yeah. And like you said, if if uh, somebody moves to a different company, you'll want to know that. That way, you can keep in touch and oh, exactly get another client. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they and and they see you. You know, they see you pop up periodically, and it's a way for them to remember that you are alive. You know, mm-hmm. it helps top of mind awareness. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Katrine, could you recommend two books for us? And, and the one of them I, I'd like to be performance-specific, and then the other one outside the performance realm, like a business or self-development book. Well, I, I don't 
uh, you know, I don't do a whole lot of business and self-development books. Uh, uh, I mostly find them <laughs> annoying, <laughs> but I, uh, uh, but I, uh, I do in, in the performance arena, probably my favorite book. And I don't know how, how many people here are, are into jazz, but because that's, you know, another aspect of what I do, the, the drumming thing, there was a wonderful, wonderful bi- biography about Thelonious Monk mm-hmm. that I, it, by uh, Robin Kelly. And and what it is is if you're interested in performing and you know you see what what an innovator in his field and you know this could be any field but an innovator in his field both because of 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 race and because of 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 class and so on what he went through in order to you know to get his art out there is a, and it's so well written. You know there are a lot of biographies written about great artists but this one particularly wonderful and particularly uh, well-construed and, and, and weaves in the history of the times yeah. uh, really well. And the second book I would recommend is, you know, I wonder if I, I probably should have checked whether this actually has gotten translated into English. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> if um, it is, I'll find out. <laughs> uh, well, it was by a scientist named Tor uh, Neurotranas. Oh, it's wow. spelled N-O-E-R-R-E-T. R-A-N-D-E-R-S. And it's called Feel the World. And we was basically what the book's premise is, if it's not translated, it's possible maybe to find another book in the same uh, in the same vein. Mm-hmm. Is he was basically talking about how your senses uh, are have a lot wider bandwidth than your consciousness. And that's where the the whole idea of it doesn't matter. Just don't think too much about it because your senses actually transport more information. And then when you let go of thought, some you know thought is obviously necessary to good performance and good you know and analyzing what you're doing. But at some point, you just got to let that go and the instinct take over. And it was so liberating for me to read that somebody had actually done some scientific work on this. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, yeah, it, it was a it was a great eye opener for me. That was called Feel the World? Yes. Like uh, like feel, like touch the world, right? Touch the world, yes. Okay, okay, got it. Touch the world, feel the world. It would be, that's what I, it would be called, I would imagine, in English. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I should have I should have checked if that had been translated. <laughs> no worries, maybe Google has translated it, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, let me tell you something. You know, Google Translate will tell you a lot about why translation via machines is... Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh man, you know it, it's funny. It kind of reminds me. Uh, I I was um, this was a couple of years ago, but uh, I was trying to interact with somebody on Twitter. Uh, I can't remember what the language was. Maybe it was Norwegian or something. But uh, I used Google Translate to translate uh, what he was saying, and then I replied to it having Google translate it back <laughs> and he didn't reply to me and I said by the way I used Google Translate and then he replied and said oh things make much more sense now <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's 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 uh that's pretty much it it's they're not quite there yet with that mm-hmm. 
But hey, it's a step in some direction, I guess. <laughs> oh yeah, you know they're getting there. They're getting there. Yeah. Just a quick uh, note to our listeners: links to these resources and uh, the show notes for this show will be provided at the website, and you'll be able to get that at successfulperformercast dot com slash Katrina, and that is K A T R I N E. So Katrina, I'd like you to do one more thing for us, and that would be to give a piece of parting advice to our listeners, and then tell us where we can find you online, plug your services, and uh, anything else you'd like to say. Yeah, I suppose my my parting advice would be uh, don't get hung up on the dream. Um, and what I what I mean by that is don't get hung up on uh, that. Oh, if you know, I'm, I'm only successful if I've made it on national TV, I'm only successful if I get my own show in Vegas or, you know, that, that if you're in this business, you know, each show is a each day and each time you can make money or, or even perform is, is a gift and just live in the now, as opposed to thinking that, you know, I I'm only successful if such and such happens, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that would be my, uh, that's certainly something I try to live by and it made me a lot happier. <laughs> yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense because I mean, why do we get into show business anyway? Or like in the first place in that we, we want to do something big, we want to do something grand, we want to be seen, you know, but then, uh, then we forget to enjoy the journey. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. However, however trivial that may sound, I think that there is a lot of damage done by the American dream, uh, by that idea that you can be anything you want to be. Mm-hmm. No, some of it takes luck. Some of it takes being in the right place at the right time. But, you know, enjoy the, the journey of being a performer, being in it. And that's and I really mean it when I say if my career shakes, you know, changes and it probably will, you know, I will, you know, at some point we'll age out of the corporate market, you know, whatever. And maybe I'll go back to doing, you know, only I still enjoy street shows, but if that was all that I did, I'd be all right with that. That's fine. Yep. And uh, Katrina, I have to say your, your career will change because the only thing that is evitable is that is change, you know? Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. That's okay. It's all good. Yep. It's all good. And and where can we find you online? Oh, oh, uh, you can we have we have websites. Um we are very bad on social media, but we have you can they can find us at uh, comedyindustries.com. And they can find us at scottyandtrink.com. Uh that's spelled C O T T Y A N D T R I N K.com. And, uh, and you know, that, uh, yeah, I don't, we have a Facebook page, but I don't think anyone has posted anything on it since 2009. (laughs) It's possible we should update that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, awesome. Katrina, you've shared all kinds of great information that our listeners can use to help grow their performance businesses. Thank you so much for joining us tonight and sharing your experience. Well, thank you so much for having me. This was great fun. It was a pleasure. Have a wonderful evening. All right, you too. Take care. Hey guys, this is Chris Shepard, your host, signing out. I just wanted to remind you of a couple of things here. Uh, Be sure to visit our Facebook group and interact there. Uh, 
You can find that at successfulperformercast.com slash fbgroup. And also don't forget to check out that free PDF show booking and debrief form. And you can find that at successfulperformercast.com slash booking sheet. And also if there's any way that, I, that you think I can improve the show or anything uh, you would like to see in the future or anybody you'd like me to you know, try and get on the show as a guest, uh, just shoot me an email at ks at successfulperformercast.com. Now, go out there and make your dreams happen. That's, you know, that's the comedy rule of three. Exactly. Exactly. Sure thing.